0: Yesterday we did a serving project where we got all the churches together and as we got all the churches together we painted the evangelical church a great project in the sense of us churches um, having a camaraderie together to uh, complete something big. And when a project like this takes place I'll just tell you what's in the back of my mind and and whether it's good or whether it's bad I just pray there's enough people that show up. I just pray that there's enough people where the project is completed. It's always a prayer inside and a desire inside to just see the body come in great force and work. Sure enough, the body came in great force. Work, we completed it an hour early, and the project was done, and we celebrated. But as a pastor, I continually think about that constantly, even when I'm up here looking at all of you right now. I start thinking about, I'm just telling you what's on my mind. I just pray that as the Word is presented that people grow. I just pray that as the word is presented that more people show up, more people get a hungry for the word. I just pray that more people would find salvation. And as we have a baptism coming up, it's a prayer. God, I just pray that we have a goal of 40 people that would uh, step forward to be baptized and that we would get 40 people that would step forward to be baptized. So when I Say that in the back of my mind, and I'm praying, what am I really saying? Uh, just to kind of sum it all up, it's almost like, God, I just pray that there would be a revival that would take place in this church body. Be a revival that would take place in the individuals that are out there. Pray that a revival would take place in Jefferson, Oregon. Pray that a revival would take place in Oregon. Pray that revival will happen. So as I think, I just got to pray that revival happens, Um, I tell you that there is some study that I I do a lot to say, how does a revival start? How does a revival start? The greatest revival that has ever taken place in this entire world, the Christian revival, a Christian revival is found in the book of Acts. And what's interesting is it started after one sermon. Started after one sermon. Sermon. The sermon was preached, and after the sermon was preached, three thousand people stepped forward, and it was just a start of constant people stepping forward, constant people moving forward. And a great revival took place in the land. So here I am as a pastor. I'm like you know, I want people to grow. I want a revival to take place. Um, maybe I better do some research and figure out what is um, even at the core or the seeds or the backbone of revival. Go look at this one sermon that was preached, and the reason why is because I believe it is the core, the backbone of what started the revival back then, and if we ever had a revival in our lives, in Jefferson, in America, or even in the world, the core of this one sermon that was preached would be the seeds that would start a revival. So, I'm just going to plagiarize it to you today. I'm going to read the sermon, uh, just because I want revival. Read the sermon that Peter preached, and after I read the sermon, we'll just break it down to say, what did he say that made such strong statements where a movement happened? Just before I read the sermon, I just want to say what was taking place. It was at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit showed up, tongues of fire were above people's heads, the Holy Spirit was very present, they started speaking the native language, everybody, and everybody looked at these people and said, what is going on? And as everybody in the entire community said, what is going on? There was a man that stepped forward, his name was Peter, and he started to preach a sermon. This is his sermon. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited to you by God, to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God set purpose and foreknowledge and you, with the help of wicked men, you put him to death death on the cross but God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep hold of him Brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet, and he knew that God promised him an oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life. And we are all witnesses of this fact, exalted to the right hand of God. He has received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make an enemies for your footstool, for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this, God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said, Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you. Those who accepted this message were baptized, And about 3,000 were added to the number that day. What's interesting about this sermon is it was not the last time this sermon was preached. It is the only sermon that consistently is preached through the entire book of Acts. In fact, if you look, whenever Jesus would stand up, or not Jesus, but whenever Paul would stand up and preach, this is the sermon that would come out. Whenever Peter would stand up and preach, this is the sermon that would come out. And every time that this sermon came out, people were saved, people were baptized, and they kept adding to the numbers. This is 3,000. There was a time there was 5,000. There was a time that the numbers kept on adding that were just as numerous as could be. They weren't even counted. They were so many. So what's in this sermon that is, carries so much power? What is in this sermon that started the seeds of revival? There's a lot of words in that sermon, but let's just break it down of what Peter said that caused such an effect on the world, the country. And I'd say the world's never been the same as a result of this sermon. So what has he said that has caused such an effect on the world and during that time? Well, he had three points in his message. Peter gave three points and he gave two challenges. Let's just look at the three points that he gave in this sermon. Number one, this is the number one point. He said, Jesus is God. What happened is that uh, Peter repeated himself during the sermon. So if you look at the sermon, you see a lot of the Old Testament come into the process of the sermon. But the reason why the Old Testament is coming into the process of the sermon is because Peter wants to make a point. And one of his points, Jesus is God. He said it three times in the sermon. Acts two twenty two, Men of Israel, this is the first thing he said. Listen to these words. Jesus, the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles, wonders, signs, which God performed through him in your midst. The first statement he makes, this Jesus is attested to you by God, saying, this guy, Jesus, is from God. But he doesn't say it once. He says it again in the sermon. Therefore, having been exalted at the right hand of God. In the sermon, Peter is making a statement again because he wants to get this point across. This Jesus is not just a man. This one has been exalted at the right hand of God and is sitting next to God on his throne. It's number two that he mentioned that Jesus is God. Number three he mentions in 2.36. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. Lord is ruler over everybody. Christ is off the Greek word Christos, which means anointed one, chosen one, directly by God. Peter wanted to get a point across. And his first point is this Jesus that came to earth is God. That was his first point. He wanted to make another point. Number two is the second point. He wanted to make the point that Jesus died. Have you ever thought about that? The first point Jesus is God. God died. Does that cause any impact? Does that cause any emotion? Well, he wanted to cause emotion, so what did he do? He mentioned it twice. This Jesus, who is God, in Acts 2, this Jesus. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Said it once, and then he says it twice. Acts 2, 36. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know that certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. He is God, and what did you do to him? This Jesus, whom you crucified. Peter wanted to make two points in his sermon. He is God, and you killed him, is point number two. But what is point number three? Point number three, Jesus rose would be point number three, which would be a seed of revival. Now, he said, God is God three times. God died twice in his one sermon. And then he says, God rose three times, making mention of it because he wants us to understand it. Acts 2, but God raised him up again. Acts 2.31, he was not abandoned to the grave nor did his body see decay. Acts 2.32, God has raised this Jesus to life. So Peter preaches a sermon, a lot of words in it, but what are the words doing? It's bringing the entire Old Testament to the forefront to make the statement that Jesus is God. Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. And then number two, Jesus died. And then number three, Jesus died. Rose. Peter was probably done with the sermon but the crowd wouldn't let him be done with the sermon because as soon as they heard those words the crowd did something what did the crowd do? number four people were pierced to the heart with the message they were cut so deep that they started to plead to Peter something what did they plead to Peter? Peter They pleaded to Peter, what do we need to do? They were pierced, and they said, tell us what we can do. Acts 2.37, now when they heard this, they only heard three things, Jesus is God, Jesus died, Jesus rose. When they heard that, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brethren, what shall we do? you heard that message before, Jesus is God, Jesus died, Jesus rose? We hear it all the time. Every time I preach, I don't know if you ever notice, it comes out. But does it pierce you? Or does it go over our heads? Or is it something that we think about? Or we can ask another question. Why did it pierce them? Why did those three things pierce them so much to the core that they responded so radically to that message that was preached? If you watched the news last week, um, President Trump went to visit the Queen of England. And as he went to visit the Queen of England, of course, the cameras are on him and the critics um, are there. And every move that he makes is, is being watched. But Trump's response of visiting the Queen of England is he showed up and he saw a blimp with him in a diaper. If you've watched the news, and it was an orange blimp of just him in a diaper. And as a result of that, um, he is a very powerful man in the world, and I would say probably the most powerful man in the world. And it was very disrespectful to him, and his result is, it's obviously that um, I'm not wanted here um, in England. That was his tweet that came out of his statement that was said there. A man that should have respect did not receive respect. But then there's a whole other article. And this whole article is eight ways Trump disrespected the Queen of England. See what happens? You have two very powerful people that are meeting. And when two very powerful people are meeting, what should be in the room? Respect. And what is on the news? Well, if there's disrespect, we're going to we're going to definitely post it because these people should have respect. So now there's a list of people of of how Trump disrespected the Queen. One was is he turned the back on the Queen. The other one is that he, did not, he shook the queen's hand um, rather than um, bowing towards the queen. Um, number two is that he walked in front of the queen rather than inside of the queen. And, and if you read the news, you can get all of them, just all the disrespects. But the point that I'm trying to make is when you have two powerful people in a room, there should be a word that is in the room, and that is respect. The whole entire Old Testament is pointing to one point, God touching on this earth. God walking on this earth. God with man is what the whole entire Old Testament says. And all of a sudden, God shows up. And when God shows up, what should be in the room? <laughs> if president shows up, kind of assuming respect. The queen assuming respect. If God shows up, there should be respect. There should be honor. But what was there? There was a baby born in a manger. There was a person that lived a homeless life and remember he is God. And then all of a sudden, there's a person that is going to the cross that is being spit on, that is being crucified, and that is dying. God is dying. Now, if there was Twitter back then, what kind of news do you think we'd have over something like this? We'd have constant tweets. What in the world is going on? Do you see how people are treating God? And I'll tell you, every one of us would be involved. If we believe the fact that he was God and then believe the fact that he would die, there would be an emotional piercing inside of us that would move us to the core. Is this the piercing that they felt? It is the piercing that they felt. When Peter was speaking that message, saying Jesus is God, and then them hearing the words, and even knowing the history that took place, hearing the words, Jesus died, there's a whole new revelation that went into their mind. There's a whole new worldview. There's a whole new perspective of the divine that has never been introduced. What is that perspective? Letter A, every religion says, you live a righteous life, and then you give it to God. The entire Old Testament makes this statement that you live a righteous life, you bring your sacrifice, you bring your offering, you bring your commitment, you bring your clean life, and you lay it to God. But what does the message of Jesus Christ say? It's a new message. Jesus said, I lived a righteous life, and then I gave it to you. I lived a righteous life because you guys couldn't do it, because I couldn't do it, and then all of a sudden, I gave it to you. When we talk about this word revival, we want to ask the questions, you know, is revival ever you know, going to start in America? Or what is, you know, what is keeping revival away? What is keeping revival personally in my heart? Um, we still mix this today. If I go to church on Sunday or on Easter and Christmas, then I think that would probably be acceptable to God to get me in. If I go to church on a consistent basis, I think that would be acceptable for God to get me in. If I obey the way I'm supposed to obey and read like I'm supposed to read, I think that would be acceptable to God to get me in. We kind of make up our own rules. And the own rules is in our mind of what we need to do to make sure that we get in and therefore we do it. The problem with that is that we will never be pierced by the gospel as long as we put our works inside of the gospel. See, what happened is the reason why people were pierced when they heard this message is because God gave it all. And when God gave it all, it cut so deep that it says, I can't do anything for my salvation. And as they saw that they cannot do anything for their salvation— I'll get to it. But they ask the question, what do we do? It used to be sacrifices, but what do we do now? Just to say it a different way, letter B it is not what we can do for God. It is what God has done for us. The reason why they're pierced is because God did something so radical that they can't do anything to compete with, anything to earn, or anything to accomplish to make sure that they could be acceptable to God. It's not what God, I can do for God. It has turned into what God has done for me. And what is this statement of the cross? What is the statement of Jesus is God, Jesus died, Jesus rose? The statement is, God loves me this much and has given that. God has given me this much, which is his life, God knows me this much and has pursued me. God wants me this much and went to the cross for me. God cares for me this much and went to the cross so I can be saved That was the piercing that took place. And don't ever remember, never forget the response to the piercing. They are pierced to the heart and then they start begging Peter, Peter, what do we do? So if you think about that comment, Peter, what do we do? He's going to give direction of what they need to do in regards to the piercing that took place in regards to the whole new worldview that was given from the divine. And what was the words that Peter said? What was the phrase that Peter said? What was the paragraph that Peter gave them of what to do? Well, number one, it was not a phrase. It was not a sentence. It was not a paragraph. It was single words. Peter said two words. And the first word he said was... Repent. Letter five. Repent. Pierced to the heart, a whole new revelation is opened up. What do we do as this whole new revelation is opened up? One word. Repent. Now, if you're reading this passage and you um, see that word being spoken, it would probably be good to know what that word means. Before we give the definition of what that word is, let's just look at the passage, Acts 2. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said, Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, You repent. What does that mean? There's only one word given. What does it mean? It's interesting how we have taken that word, and we've made so many meanings off this word, but yet that word holds, I would say, almost everything. What does that word mean? Some people have said that it is a change of behavior. Repenting is a change of behavior. Is that the case? Or is that migrating back into the concept that I still have a large piece in my salvation, and as long as my behavior changes, then I'm going to make it, and if my behavior doesn't change, then I'm probably not going to make it. There's a passage in Luke that makes a statement that repent is not a change of behavior. Luke 3, produce fruit in keeping with Repentance. There's two different things there. You reproduce the fruit, but you're doing it in keeping with the repentance, but it's not one thing. Repentance is not change of behavior according to that verse. The other definitions that we've come up with is repentance is change your mind on who God is around here. It's a strong explanation. Uh, it's a strong statement. Repentance is change your mind of who your God is around here. Um, Thomas Watson even came up with Repentance has a spiritual medicine making up of six different ingredients. It's a sight of sin, a sorrow for sin, a shame for sin, a hatred for sin, a turning from sin. Repentance comes with this package. But as we give a lot of information on this word repentance, we can easily get confused of what God means. So just kind of wrap it up of what repentance looks like. Letter A would give that to you. Repentance is God, I'm sorry, We understand that. Repentance is God. I'm sorry. Please help. When you get the words, Jesus is God, Jesus died, and Jesus rose, they were pierced on, they had no place to go, and the words that were given is just say, God, I am sorry, help. And remember what took place after this. Revival has taken place. Why did the word revival come from by saying God, I'm sorry, help? If you use the word God, I'm sorry, please help. What you are saying is, God, I cannot save myself. There has to be an intervention, and that intervention is from you. And it it's also saying, God, I cannot make myself. There has to be an intervention, and that intervention is from you. It's saying, God, I cannot depend on myself. There has to be an intervention, and that intervention is you, God. Why is this so powerful? And why is God using the word, just repent? And if you repent, revival would happen. I believe that the reason why God is using the word repent and has built a mission on repent is because if you move to your knees and say, God, I am sorry, help You're moving out of the picture and asking God to show up. What is our mission? Our only mission in life, in this world, is to show that God is alive. How do we show that God is alive? We get on our knees and say, God, I'm sorry. I can't do it. Help. What kind of statement does that make to our children? That statement that makes to our children is that dad is dependent on something. That dad does not have the strength to be a strong father. That dad does not have the strength to save himself. That dad needs something. And that something is God. And if he steps back, what happens? God steps up. And when God steps up, the world doesn't see Mike Didera. The world doesn't see you. The world starts to see God. You see the strategy that God has used to proclaim to the world that he is alive? The strategy that is used is step back, be a loser that you are, and let you see the intervention that I have given you. Move to your knees, repent, ask for help, and I will show up. And sure enough, what happened? He definitely showed up in the book of Acts with his spirit so much alive as people went to their knees and said, God, I'm sorry, help. He says, I will help. Thank you for inviting me in and revival took place. Repent is not the only word he used. He also used another word. Now, he could have used any word, but he only used two words. Repent was one, and the second word was be baptized. Be baptized. Here we have the people. Jesus is God. Jesus died. Jesus rose. Pierced to the heart, begging, what do we do now? He says, repent. Simple words. Number two, be baptized. Acts 2, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized. How come he didn't say repent and love? Wouldn't love change the word? How come he didn't say repent and forgive? How come he didn't say repent and serve? How come he said repent and be baptized? Does baptism carry any significance whatsoever in regards to this message that Peter was preaching? Does baptism carry any significance whatsoever in regards to the revival that took place in the book of Acts? And if it does carry any significance, what is it? If you look at uh, baptism, it's mentioned throughout the Old Testament. Well, they're doing baptisms in the Old Testament. One way that it was mentioned is that people needed to be clean, the priest needed to be clean before he made atonement for sins, therefore he washed. He washed in the pool of Siloam. He washed in the pool of Bethesda. They were known as holy waters as in the sense that they would wash before they can approach themselves to God. There was also sacrifices that were taking place. Sacrifices need to take place before they can approach themselves to God. Peter's message is talking about you are going to be able to approach yourself to God. Therefore, repent and be baptized. Did people understand what that meant? People did understand what it meant. And the thing that they understood is that we have to be clean, and there was a sacrifice that cleaned us. Let's just look at the picture of baptism real quick. When we stand in, in the water, what are we showing? We are showing that we are in the water, and then we're standing up, and it's coming up to our waist. When we are dumped under the water, we are showing that we are dying, and then we're raising again. This is a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what baptism is. It doesn't say any words, and there will be no words that has taken place when people are going down and people are going up, but yet there are so many words that are being spoken, and those words is, I am standing up here today to identify myself with the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The reason why the Bible does not say, or Peter did not say, repent and love, repent and give, repent and serve. Because when we lay down to repent, God shows up. But then he wants us to make the statement, I want you to identify yourself with me, and this is the command that I'm asking you to identify yourself with me, is show everybody that I'm identifying with this, the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Would there have been a revival if there was only one word? Repent. I want you to repent. No other word. Just repent. I don't think there would have been a revival. There's two things that need to happen. We need to stand before God. And we say, God, I am sorry. Please help. But then we needed to identify ourselves with God. In the New Testament, when this took place, they were not identifying themselves with something that was amazing. They were identifying them, themselves with something that would probably kill them in modernism. In other words, when they are identifying with Christ, people are going, whoa, Jesus is acting more powerful than a king. Those people need to go. When people are identifying with Christ in baptism, they're saying there's a movement that has taken place that can overthrow a country. Those people need to go. And as we watch the New Testament, people were being killed. But for us today, what are we saying when we identify ourselves with Christ? Is our life going to be um, at risk? The answer is not in America. But when we are identifying with Christ, it's not easy. We're making a testimony. We're making a statement. We're getting wet and nobody else is. We're identifying with Christ. We are telling the congregation, we're telling the world that this is my identification. I am dirty, but now I'm clean. I am bound, but now I'm free. I'm dead, but now I'm alive. I am lost, but now I'm found. I am with hope, but now I have hope, I have no purpose, but now I'm on a mission. All that is said with one act, going into the water and then coming out of the water. What does baptism mean? Letter A, baptism is, God, I'm yours. That's what it looks like. God, I'm yours. Repentance, God, I'm sorry, I help, help me. I've seen the gospel. Baptism is, God, I am yours. To wrap this up, we'll see in number seven. Repentance is embracing God's commitment to you, and baptism is giving God your commitment to Him. Another reason why God did not say repent and love, repent and give, repent and serve, because it's too narrow. Baptism says, I have a new identity. And the new identity that I have placed myself in is this of what Christ has done for me. Therefore, since I've been forgiven, I will forgive. Therefore, since God has love, I am committed to love. Therefore, since God is serving, I am committing to serve. I want to make that statement in the process of that baptism. Romans 6, three through four, or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. A statement that I have a new identity. A statement that I'm a new man. A statement that I'm a new lady in Christ. A statement that I'm a new person. A statement that I have a new worldview. I'd just like to challenge you that if you've not looked at the cross and you've not been pierced by the cross, I want to challenge you that There's no way you're going to get to God outside of it. The only way you can do it is saying, God, I messed up. I'm sorry. Please help. It's not strong enough just to say I'm sorry because you're not asking God to come in. It's strong enough to say, God, I'm sorry. Help. If you have made that step, there is a directive that was given to everybody in the room that started the revival. Make the statement, this is who I'm identifying myself with the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. Step forward and be baptized. This is the message that started the revival, and this is a message that was preached all the way through the book of Acts. Father, we just um, thank you for this message. God, we work so hard trying to please you, and we work so hard trying to make ourselves a strong Christian and make ourselves good, and and, uh, God, what we really need to do is we just need to break before your throne Plead for mercy and praise and worship you because you are willing to give it. God, we just thank you for this message, knowing that this message is the only thing that can change our heart. This message is the only thing that can motivate us strong enough for service. This message is the only thing, God, that can make us alive. I just pray that if anybody is in this room that have not chosen you in repentance and chosen you for baptism, I just pray, God, that this would be a morning where they do it